I'd like to welcome you to today's Sunday service at the end of our glorious Inner Renewal Week. And I'd like to especially thank all our guests who have come for the whole week, our guests who have come for the Kriya Initiation, our guests who have come for the Nayaswami Order Initiation, and also our guests who have come for Kalidasa and Melody's uh, Blissful Wedding. I think we set a record for having three vows in just uh, over 24 hours. And uh, <laughs> so it really, uh, really uh, expresses uh, Ananda's uh, Dwapara work. And uh, I'd be, uh, also I want to thank Swamiji for his attunement and devotion to Master uh, for this week, for this community, and also to Jatishan Devi for guiding us, inspiring us, and giving us such wonderful love and deep uh, devotion and attunement with Master. Thank you. I'd like to read uh, Rays for, uh, of the One Light. And this reading really perfectly expresses Master's, what he's brought to the world, but also Swami's attunement with Master and how he's presented Master's teaching and has kept uppermost uh, this thought. The law is perfected in love. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, we read, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace means the power to rise spiritually. Truth means the experience of divine realities, not the application in the outer world of that inner experience. Divine love is the soul's experience of oneness with God. Kindness is the human manifestation of that love. Grace is deeper than mere kindness. Wisdom is a divine experience. Justice to all is a human law, though divinely inspired. It follows as a consequence of the experience of wisdom. Truth goes deeper than mere justice. Why, following the law, we should strive always to trace it back to its origins in the vision of God. Therefore, Krishna, in the Bhagavad Gita, urges the devotee not to be satisfied with spiritual precepts alone, but to go beyond them to the direct inner experience of truth. In the 18th chapter of that great scripture, he says, Nay, but once more, take my last word, my utmost meaning have. Precious thou art to me, right well, beloved. Listen, I tell thee, for thy comfort this. Give me my heart, adore me, serve me, cling in faith and love and reverence to me. So thou shalt come to me, I promise true, for thou art sweet to me. And let go those rights and rich duties, fly to me alone. Make me thy single refuge, I will free thy soul from all its sins, 
be of good cheer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Well, we have a very special ending to our glorious week of Inner Renewal Week. We have, uh, just out a couple of days ago, this is the biography of Paramahansa Yogananda that Swami finished last year. It's quite an amazing and wonderful book with dozens and dozens of stories of Master that you have never heard before. Um, it, uh, I, it's probably everything Swami has written deserves to be a bestseller, but this probably will be a bestseller. Um, I wanted to tell just a little story. I shared it with some of you, but we had the manuscript of this book last year, and we were driving to the Bay Area to see um, a very intuitive uh, Chinese herbalist for Bharat, and so we were reading, I was reading aloud the manuscript for about three hours, and it was completely captivating. And we got to this doctor's office, and I went into the waiting room, and I sat down, and I thought, this doctor must be a really, really deep soul. I just feel like meditating here in this waiting room. I just felt very, very blessed. And then we went to an outlet store, and I said, this outlet store <laughs> feels very, very blessed. I think, I think Berkeley is turning into a, the Benares of, of the West. And it, and it was only later that I made the connection between this book... And that deep sense of inspiration. So this is available in the boutique, and I really encourage you not to leave today without it. It's, it will be an amazing experience for you. So I'll begin now by reading from Whispers from Eternity, Yogananda's book of poems and prayers. Prayer at Dawn. With the opening of the earliest dawn and the lotus buds, my soul softly opens in prayer to receive thy light. Bathe each petal of my mind with thy radiant rays. I saturate myself with the perfume of thy presence, and I wait to waft with the breeze the aroma of thy message of love to all. Bless me, that with the spreading dawn I may spread thy love everywhere. Bless me, that with the awakening dawn I may awaken all souls with my own and bring them to thee. So, I think it was C.S. Lewis who gave the advice, when you speak of God, your face should shine with divine joy. And when you speak of Satan, your ordinary face will do. (laughs) So, I was thinking this morning of all the all the faces shining with divine joy that we see here. And we'll just talk about God this morning. 
Um, this reading starts with the quote from the Bible, the law came through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There's a beautiful story by Leo Tolstoy that's told in the autobiography of a yogi about three hermits who lived on a, on a small island and they lived in a very remote place and they were very simple men and they didn't know any official prayers, so they just prayed a very simple prayer. We are three, thou art three, have mercy on us. And through this simple prayer, they had become saintly, they had become holy people. But when the bishop heard how they were praying, he was feeling like this just isn't right. That prayer has no dignity in it at all. So he took the boat to go to the island, and he went to see those men, and he taught them. He said, I want to teach you the official Catholic prayers. And so they were very, very grateful that he would do that and very, very open and interested in learning these prayers. And he was pleased with the whole visit. And as he was in the boat, sailing back across away from the island, he saw behind him a great light. And in that light were the three hermits holding hands, running across the waves, saying, Oh, Your Holiness, Your Holiness, stop! We've forgotten the prayers you taught us. Would you please teach them to us again? (laughs) And he said, No, my children, just continue to pray what you've been praying. And so the law is the beginning, but love and grace is the most important thing. But I was thinking this quotation from the Bible could be amended. It could say... The law came through Moses, love and grace came through Jesus Christ, and a combination of self-discipline and grace and joy and love came through Paramahansa Yogananda, because he taught that, as he said, he, he wrote a poem called When I Am Only a Dream, and the poem says, I come to tell you all of him and of the discipline that brings his grace. So while the law that Moses brought was very um, materialistic, he came in Kali Yuga, and he gave people very specific outward rituals to do, some of them really to keep them alive, they were for health and, and for other things too. But by doing these specific things, it helped them connect their daily lives with God, and it helped them to have a self definition. But coming into this age of Dwapar Yuga, where there's much more energy, much more chaos and confusion, we find that self-definition isn't really the most important thing. Self-transformation is what people are seeking now. And so what Master brought, instead of outward laws, were the laws of redirecting your energy, the discipline of meditation and Kriya Yoga, and saying, If you redirect your energy in this way, you will draw to yourself divine love and divine grace. So whereas Swami has said, they're often in philosophy, the history of philosophy, there are always these choices. Is it love? Is it grace? He said, in Master's life, you find them brought together. He brought them all together and said, of course. And you just hear it and you go, of course, of course, discipline plus grace together will lift our energy. Yesterday, we had the beautiful wedding for Kalidasa and Melody. 
And this didn't get said at yesterday's wedding because it didn't really need to be said. But over the years, Swami Kriyananda has given dozens of weddings probably, and almost invariably when he's talking about spiritual relationship, he talks about two ingredients as the foundation for, for a good relationship, and that is friendship and mutual respect. As I say yesterday, that was so obvious in the, that couple, but those two qualities of friendship and respect, then we bring those into the deepest relationship of our lives, our lives with God, our lives with our guru. And this ingredient of friendship is so, so important that we, Jyotish was talking about it this week, that we always see that it's love, that we feel for God and that God feels for us. I don't know if others had this experience, but when I moved to Ananda, I still had beneath in my sort of, I don't know, religious upbringing, the sense of fear that related to God and, and this sort of the, the, the sense of, you know, you're going to get it wrong. You've got you to gotta really fear God. And, and I remember reading something that was very, very meaningful to me. And it said, where fear is, there love cannot be. And so the more that we want to go deep in our relationship with God, we want to embrace this feeling always of love. And with it also, respect. Respect for the tradition we've been given. Respect for the, the, te- the teachings of the guru. Respect for the techniques of the guru. And respect for the ray of grace that has come from the guru. Swami Kriyananda talks about when he met uh, Yogananda for the first time and he asked if he could become his disciple. Yogananda asked him to give him his unconditional obedience and then he told Swami this story. And this is a very dear story when you realize it's about him t- talking about his life. He, he's an avatar, talking about meeting another avatar. He said, um, he, um, Master was saying to Swami to let him discipline him and then Master said, when I met my guru, Sri Yukteswar, Sri Yukteswar said to me, allow me to discipline you. Why, sir? And then Sri Yukteswar answered, because in the beginning our will is guided by whims and fancies. My will was too, until I met my guru, Lahiri Mahashai. I love that, Sri Yukteswar being guided by whims and fancies. <laughs> my will... I was guided by whims and fancies until I met my guru, Sri Yukteswar. It was only by attuning my mind, my will, to his wisdom-guided will that I found freedom. By following whims and fancies, we're always in bondage. But only by attuning to the, the, the will of God do we find freedom. So I thought I would like to share this morning two stories of beautiful... Um, devotees that experienced this. And I'm, I'm sorry about this, but they, they both have to do with dying, and I hope that's not too morbid. But there's a beauty that comes at the end of life as our relationship with our soul and with God becomes very, very clear. There was a woman named Yolanda who came to Ananda. She sort of, she and her husband kind of discovered Ananda in some miraculous fashion about about 25 years ago. 
And they came, they felt a, just an amazing connection here, and they, they would come every year at Thanksgiving. And then she began to come also on her own at other times in her life that were very important to her. And over those years, we became friends. And she was a yoga teacher in the Bay Area, very well-known and just a person of great love. And so she went to all the different spiritual teachers in the Bay Area, not because she was an eclectic person, but because she just loved everybody. And any friend who would ask her to go to anything, she would go and she would draw from it and she would love it and she just appreciated it all. But uh, what happened is then she, I guess this was in about 2007, she discovered she had a very virulent form of cancer and terrible prognosis. And she uh, began to focus on Yogananda. Just, she just found that that's what she wanted to hear. She wanted to read the autobiography. She wanted to have her husband read the autobiography to her, do master's healing prayers with her. And she wanted to come up here and have us pray for her. And so that's what happened. We had a very dear, very small, uh, three of us with her, uh, very dear prayer ceremony. And at the end of it, Peggy Grady, who many in this room know, um, said to her, why don't you take discipleship on this path? And so she said, I'll think about that. And I, I, had, I wouldn't have asked her that because I knew how, how she loved everyone, but I was very, very grateful to Peggy. It was a brilliant thing to do. And, and so then Yolanda came back and she said, we were talking about it, and she said, I don't know if I can do that because I just love everyone. And um, I know that many, many people have gotten confused by going to lots and lots of different teachers. It can be confusing. It can be not what's recommended. But in her case, it felt like the right thing to say to her that why don't you think of Yogananda not as a person, but as a ray of the divine light that's trying to awaken your, the own, your guru inside of you. This is the truth. This is what Swami tells us. The guru is to awaken our own guru. And that everywhere you go, you don't have to say no to things, but everywhere you go, feel that Yogananda is coming to you through that. And before you go anywhere, ask him what he thinks about you going there. Just pray inwardly and see if it has his blessing to go there. So she meditated on that and she said, yes, I feel like I can take discipleship. And we had a ceremony at the Hermitage that was, in, in the dozens of ceremonies I gave, it was just uniquely powerful. There was just a very, very strong presence of Master there. And she was quite ill, but we sat for a long time after that, uh, feeling that presence. And she said after that, for, the la- for every day of her life after that, she felt that presence with her. And her husband said that whenever he would ask her to do anything, to go anywhere, to do anything, she would say, let me ask Master about that. So she embraced that beautiful attunement in in an expansive way with discipline and yet felt such grace and love through that. Another great devotee that um, many of us here had the privilege to know was a man named Honnell Cassidy. In the early days when we came here, um, most of us were in our 20s, 
There was Swami, who was about 20 years older than us. There was Sri Satya. I don't know if Satya is here today, but anyway, these were, these were our elders. And then older than both of them was Hanel Cassidy, who um, I guess when he came here, he was in his mid-60s. And um, he, he was a great person of devotion, service, and meditation, what we've been talking about this week. Every night he would meditate, I believe, for about three hours in the middle of the night, wake up in the middle of the night, meditate, and go back to sleep. Um, and he was, his outer personality, you wouldn't take him for a bhakti. He was a, could be a bit of a grouch. Um, but he was a bhakti. His heart was totally, totally devoted to Master. And he was dedicated to serving Ananda. And um, so at the end of his life, he, again, discovered he had very, very far advanced cancer. And by um, the last month of his life, I was able to stay with him and take care of him living in his living room and just being there. And when I went up to talk to him the first day, he was, he, he was at this point just lying in his bed, his his, medit- his bed was his meditation seat, and his altar was right at the foot of the bed. And so he wanted to have his days in his shrine, what he called his shrine room. And so he lay in his bed. He was on a, a wedge so that his body was slightly up so he could see the picture of Master. And I went in, and I went to comfort him. He had advanced, far advanced pancreatic cancer, which is supposed to be extremely painful. I went to hold his hand, And there was a blessing of Master flowing through him to me. I was not giving him energy. The blessing was flowing my way. And I said, Hanel, can you feel this? And he said, oh, yes. He said, as I lie here, I just feel those vibrations flowing through me. So this is something that I wanted to just bring, that, 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 that discipline of his life, of service, of meditation, it drew the grace. It drew the grace. And so this last month, we didn't talk very much. He was in a very, um, kind of an astral place. If he spoke, it didn't make sense. And I've heard people talking about people who are dying and saying, oh, they're confused by the medication or confused by this. Well, first of all, he never took any medication. He only took a Tylenol right before bed. He wanted to keep his mind clear. But he... um, he wasn't confused. What he was saying had to do with more with the astral world than the physical world. But he, he was there in that space working things out. And then at the very end, I could, I could talk about this for a long time, but I wanted to kind of bring it to the close. Well, for one thing, let me just say one thing. It, would, it taught me something very important. It taught me that everything that we are is there at the moment of death all the good, all the strength that we've gained and all the unfinished karma. And he had some unfinished karma and he was able to resolve it there in that weakened state. But it made me think, I don't want to have that unresolved karma and be in a weakened state and have to figure it out. I want to do it before I get there because you can't always choose what's going to happen. And so what finally happened at the end is he had, he had this cancer began to, I guess, destroy his lungs or his esophagus, and he began to drown. And we ran and got the doctor, and she began to um, siphon out, what'd you say? 
aspirate, siphon out the blood from his throat. And he was, she, he was turned to the side, and she said, keep your head turned to the side like this. Well, Hanel knew what was what. And after a while, he just gave her this fiercest glare, like, <laughs> don't touch me. And he rolled over onto his back, and he grabbed hold of the bedpost behind him, and he just looked at Master, and, and he was like, I'm going, I'm doing it my way. And he... There was a bit of a struggle, probably what Jyotish was talking about, that two or three minutes where, where he was gasping and struggling. And then he got very, very calm. And he relaxed completely. Again, he was just focused on God. He reached down to say thank you to the two of us who'd been there with him. Totally gracious. Breathed very, very calmly. And then he left the room. It was just like that. He just walked right out of the room. And we, we, we felt him go. And, and he left consciously through the grace of the guru, but he had done the work and the grace carried him. So it's very much what they talk about, about learning to sail a boat. We've got to learn all the mechanics. You've got to learn to use the rudder because you might need that rudder. You've got to set the sails because you need those sails but it's the wind of God's grace that carries you across the water. And that's what happened in his life. He'd done all the preparation. He was ready to be conscious. And God just lifted him out of there. So this this dance that we are in will take everything that we have in the way of willingness and love and concentration but it will draw power that is far, far beyond us. And I was thinking this morning about the fact that this is the end of a a pretty heavenly week. I think a lot of times we felt that the doors of the heavenly realms were open and blessing us all. Um, And now people will go back to a life where there's some not always easy decisions to make. Here you had to decide if you were going to have seconds on lunch or whatever. (laughs) You go out back and you're going to have some big decisions to make and they won't always be so easy. And I thought it might be useful to share with you um, something that Swami wrote to me many years ago. I was in St. Louis uh, with my birth family and I had to make a very big decision and I didn't want to get it wrong. And I felt a clarity of inspiration, but I wasn't Again, I wanted to make sure I was right, so I wrote a letter to Swami, as in write, as not as in email, but as in paper and pen and write and envelope and stamp, and I wrote this letter to Swami telling him what was happening and was I doing the right thing, and I mailed it. And the letter was somewhere probably over Salt Lake City, and that, because it was just the very next day I felt this enveloping love from him. And so I went ahead with the decision that I uh, had made, and it was the right decision. And um, a couple of weeks later, because the letter kind of had to follow me around, I got this letter from him. And I'm going to read it to everyone, because I want you to feel this letter is written to you. So you can even close your eyes and listen to it if you'd like. No matter what you face, here is the answer. Dear devotee, it is all a dream of God's. We have to live in him and channel his blessings to all, especially 
those who are close to us. Our outward actions are much less important than our inner intentions of feeling and will. Don't worry. God is pleased with you that you always try your best to do what is right. And now ending with that thought of God's pleasure with you, I'd like to lead you in a little visualization, which I think is a wonderful way to end this week and for you to take with you. This is something that Swami wrote. So again, you can keep your eyes closed. Imagine yourself in heaven, surrounded by saints and angels, smiling upon you in greeting because you are one of them. Know that they approve of you. Yes, they know you're weak. They know you've done wrong things. They are compassionate because God is compassionate. They see in you the real you, what is good in you. Think of yourself that way and think of them blessing you on all sides. Join in their company with rejoicing, with freedom. Oh.